Can I give you a warm welcome to our service today at Brighton Road? Thanks for joining us online. My name is Tim Carter, I'm one of the ministers here. The song we just listened to expresses a sense of wonder that the King of Kings should welcome us, despite all our shortcomings and failings, into his presence. If you've ever had the privilege of being presented to royalty, of meeting Her Majesty, you will be aware of all the protocols and ceremony involved in that, the immense privilege there is in being granted access to the Sovereign. Yet Jesus, as our King, turns that perception of how sovereignty works on its head. We don't need palace officials to usher us into his presence. He comes looking for us. He wants to meet us on our turf, coming into our homes, our lives, our hearts. He doesn't receive us in his court. We receive him wherever we are, whoever we are, whatever we've done, however we feel. Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, a sovereign like no other. Can I lead you in prayer? Let's pray. Jesus, we see you as the peasant king, the one who dines with lepers, tax collectors and prostitutes, the one who sits at our table and takes on the task of a servant. You are the lowly king whose feet get dusty, whose hands get dirty. You don't shy away from the grime of human contact. You serve us in our need. And you are the mighty king hanging in weakness on a cross. And in being lifted up in this way, you have shown that death does not have the last word, because you are also the risen King, whose triumph confounds all earthly systems of authority and majesty, and it's our privilege to be your subjects. We bless you, Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord, but today, as your people, we thank you for humbling yourself, for emptying yourself, for pouring out your life for us. Bless you, Jesus. Amen. And so we sing, from heaven you came, helpless babe, entered our world, your glory veiled.
The reading is taken from Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 42. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer.
It's fascinating to compare how the different Gospels record what happened to Jesus in Gethsemane. In John 18 we find no mention of Jesus praying in the garden. Instead, Judas and the soldiers turn up in the garden pretty much as soon as Jesus arrives, and Jesus takes the initiative by approaching them. Jesus is the one who identifies himself to them. Jesus even has to overcome their apparent reluctance to arrest him. John's Jesus is firmly in charge of events. He's the one who knows what's going on. He's the one directing everything towards its appointed conclusion. If there's a moment in John's Gospel where Jesus has second thoughts, we may find that way back in chapter 12, where Jesus admits that his soul is troubled at the prospect of his death, and he wonders whether he should ask his father to save him from his hour of trial. But to do so would defeat the whole purpose of his coming into the world. So instead, Jesus asks the Father that the Father's name would be glorified. And he gets an answer in terms of an audible voice from heaven. I have glorified it, the Father says, and I will glorify it again. John's portrait of a calm and self-composed Jesus is radically different from how Jesus is portrayed in Mark's Gospel. Here Jesus is deeply distressed and troubled. He wants his disciples to stay awake and pray with him, but they can't keep their eyes open. And Jesus, for his part, prays over and over again the same prayer that this hour, this cup, might pass from him. But he never gets an answer. Heaven stays silent, despite Jesus pushing really hard for a reprieve. If it's possible, he prays that he will be spared. And in his prayers, he reminds his father that nothing is impossible for you. So why should that prayer not be answered? If Jesus' prayer isn't answered, it doesn't mean that God can't do as he asks, not that there's no alternative. It means that his father will not do as he asks. And so there's a heart-wrenching dimension to Jesus' additional prayer. Not what I will, but what you will. 
He pours out his heart in anguish prayer, but nothing comes back. And I can't help wondering whether that unanswered prayer lay behind Jesus' cry of dereliction on the cross. My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? The other evangelists all toned down Mark's stark portrait in one way or another. Matthew records Jesus' repeated prayers in such a way that there is a development. Jesus moves towards a place of acceptance. So his first prayer in 2639 is, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then later on in 2642 we read, My Father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. There's a recognition here that his first prayer might not be answered. We see a progression in Jesus' prayers, from asking to be spared of at all possible, to praying that if there's no other option but for him to drink the cup, then he resigns himself to God's will. And we can see that this prayer has put Jesus and his Father on the same page. In 2653, Jesus says, were I to appeal to my father to be delivered, then 12 legions of angels would be sent to rescue me. But that doesn't happen because Jesus knows that he has to walk the path foretold in the scriptures. When we open Luke's gospel at chapter 22, we find a different perspective again. Given that Luke is usually the one who never misses an opportunity to underscore that Jesus was a man of prayer, it's perhaps surprising that he doesn't record Jesus repeating, Jesus praying repeatedly through the night. In Luke 22:41, there's just a single prayer. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And at this point, different manuscripts of Luke's gospel diverge. Lots of later manuscripts record that Jesus' prayer was answered by an angel coming down from heaven to strengthen him. Well, at the same time, the depths of Jesus' anguish are underscored by him sweating drops of blood, a very rare medical condition known as hematidrosis, where tiny blood vessels in the skin break open and the blood is squeezed out through the sweat glands. It's a condition caused by extreme distress or fear. It can be experienced by those facing death, torture or severe ongoing abuse. It's a vivid picture of the intensity of Jesus' anguish and of God's response by sending an angel. But other earlier versions of Luke's gospel leave out verses 43 to 44. We don't get the angel. We don't get Jesus sweating blood. We don't get any explicit answer of Jesus' prayer being answered in the garden, but we do later on see the serenity which Jesus displays as he faces the cross, which suggests that he might have received the grace he needed to navigate the trials that lay ahead. There's a trust in Luke's gospel that suggests that the prayer made a real difference to his ability to face and accept what was to come. In passing, and just to complicate matters, it looks as though the book of Hebrews also mentions Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane in chapter 5, verse 7, where we read that during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. So the author of Hebrews is confident that Jesus' prayer was heard 
and he was delivered from death, but not by being spared from what was to come, but by being raised from the dead after his suffering. Hebrews goes on to talk about how Jesus' obedience entailed suffering, the kind of suffering that qualified him to be a perfect high priest who can empathise with us in our trials, become the source of eternal salvation to those who obey him. For Hebrews, God did answer Jesus' prayer, not by sparing him, but by helping him to accomplish the mission, by doing what had to be done. So we can see the different ways in which New Testament writers interpret what happened when Jesus prayed in the garden. For Hebrews, his prayer was answered by resurrection at the end. For Luke, his prayer was answered either by an angel being sent to strengthen him or there's evidence of answered prayer by the equanimity with which Jesus faces his fate. In Matthew, we can see Jesus moving towards the point of acceptance, of being prepared to implement his father's will. But Mark's accounts... That's just stark. Father, if it's possible, and everything is possible with you, please spare me from what's to come. It's up to you. Your will be done. Unanswered prayer is a conundrum. What we ask for is always possible because nothing is impossible with God. And what do we make of it when our prayers aren't answered? Sometimes there's no sense of acceptance, no supporting angel, no sense of serenity, no answer at all. We're faced with heaven's silence and all we can fall back on is the inscrutable will of God. And sometimes in our darkest hours, we wonder whether he's really there at all. And if he is there, whether he's listening, whether he's forsaken us. But what did Jesus do when his prayer wasn't answered? He carried on. Let the scriptures be fulfilled, he says, when they come to arrest him. I am, he replies, when he's asked at the trial whether he's the Christ, the son of the blessed, even though he knows that to say those words will seal his fate as a blasphemer. So you say, is his, is his answer to Pilate about whether he's the king of the Jews. Gethsemane was the moment when Jesus wanted to run away from what was happening. But he didn't. And what stopped him was that unanswered prayer. Despite his prayer not being answered, he kept the faith. It takes faith to pray. It takes faithfulness to persevere when our prayers aren't answered. And faith and faithfulness belong together because they're both translations of the same Greek word in the original. It's about keeping faith. Jesus had faith when he prayed and he kept the faith when his prayer went unanswered. And it's a good thing for us that he did, because when he died, he gave his life to ransom our souls from the grave. If he hadn't, we would have been lost. Mark's version of Gethsemane makes a difficult reading. He pulls no punches in his description of the way Jesus agonised in prayer before his death. Maybe that's because Mark was probably writing his gospel for readers who were facing persecution and martyrdom themselves. He wanted them to face the reality of what was to come, the possibility that their prayers for deliverance might not be answered. What about us? How do we cope when heaven is silent? Let me leave you with some words from C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters, his imagined series of letters from a senior to a junior devil, Wormwood, who's learning how to lead people astray from God. This is what Screwtape says. 
Be not deceived, Wilmot. Our case is never more in jeopardy than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished, and asks why he's been forsaken, and still obeys. Can I lead you in a prayer of confession? Jesus, you know how unlike you we are. Where we break down and destroy, you build up. Where we cause damage, you repair. 
where we blaspheme and, and speak ill of other people, you bless. Where we isolate and exclude, you welcome and include. Where we go wrong, you put us right. Where we confess, thank you that you forgive. And where we begin again, you're with us. Thank you, Jesus, that it's precisely because we are not like you that you laid down your life for us. Thank you for answering our sin with your grace and with your steadfast love. Amen. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins.
what a special privilege it is that as human beings with ordinary pleasures and concerns, we can be in touch with the Lord God, the only true ruler of the universe, and we can talk with him during prayer. So now, in the intercessions, we will pray about some of the problems which concern us and seek his help to make us more like the people he calls us to be. Let us pray. Dear Lord, this morning we praise you for the wonders of this world as we look at the clouds in the sky, watch birds and aeroplanes move across the horizon, see trees coming into full leaf, and hear the sounds of motor vehicles, animals and children. But we also see how much is not right in today's world. With abuse of the planet's resources, and the selfishness of so much of our behaviour. We are unkind and look out for ourselves more than for our neighbours. We have selfish and wrong thoughts and forget to do the kind things we might do. Gracious Lord, because of the life and death of your Son Jesus, we can ask, please forgive us for our selfishness and failings. Shall we pause and in the quietness ask God to forgive and change us? Now shall we focus our attention on three matters. Lord, you taught your followers to pray that your kingdom would come and your will be done on earth. We recognise the worldwide problems caused by the pandemic and ask for help. For scientists searching for suitable vaccines against the virus. For medical staff trying to heal people from the effects of the disease. For the government attempting to restore our country's economy and for people who, because of COVID-19, are troubled and anxious about their families or themselves. Lord, bring healing, bring peace. Lord, we recognise the damage the planet has suffered as humans have misused the resources. The climate changes occurring as a result of this prevent people harvesting crops in many countries. We pray for the G7 meeting in Cornwall later this year, that richer nations will plan and act on policies which will help countries where homes and crops are threatened by floods and drought. We pray for scientists, those who are working on new methods of energy supply, on disposal of all the plastic we currently use, on ways to make buildings more energy efficient, on teaching communities how to live more sustainably. For those trying to develop ways to travel that are carbon neutral, Lord, bring healing to the planet, bring peace. 
Lord, we pray about ways church life will be different when we can meet each other again. We talk together in the church meeting. Help us to understand what you would lead us to do. May we work in the strength the Holy Spirit gives so that any changes are not dependent on our skills. We want our activities to spread your salt and light into the community and to lead to the spread of your kingdom. Help us to move forward in unity, seeking your honour in all we do, remembering that you do not change. As you prayed to your Father for yourself and your followers, asking for help in the Garden of Gethsemane, we would use the prayer you taught us to combine all our requests. And perhaps you would like to say this to yourself as I read it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.
favor, grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us all evermore.